May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father, through his Son, his only Son, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. When and where have you admired a great building or a significant structure? I'll tell you the one that never ceases to amaze me. It's the Gateway Arch on the west side of the Mississippi River at St. Louis, Missouri. Designed by Aero Saarinen, it was completed in 1965, and it stands to honor Lewis and Clark's voyage of discovery, which had happened 150 years before that. If you haven't seen it, especially up close, you should. If you haven't watched the short movie about its construction, you must. If you haven't ridden in that claustrophobic little car up one of the legs and leaned over those windows to look at the view below, well, you've missed something. Today's gospel starts at a significant architectural site. But today's scriptures include more places and actions of significance. And today's scriptures allow us to do what we want to do every Sunday morning, to listen to Jesus. May the Holy Spirit give us attentive ears and expectant hearts to ponder the word of God that we might rejoice in the temple, in the priests, in the nations, and in the book. People God dearly loves. Herod the Great appointed by Caesar Augustus, ruled Israel from 37 to 4 BC. He was the king when Jesus was born. He was the king who ordered the slaughter of the infants in and near Bethlehem after the visit of the Magi. Herod the Great was a builder. On the backs and the bodies of slaves and soldiers, he built and built and built a fortress near Bethlehem called the Herodium, a fortress at Masada with a three-tiered palace on the side of the mountain, another palace at Jericho, and on the coast at Caesarea Maritima, aqueducts, and yes, one more palace. But the temple in Jerusalem was his greatest building project. Herod began by enlarging the temple mount that platform on which the temple would be built. He did so with enormous amounts of stone and fill. Some of the foundation stones were larger than those at the pyramids of Giza. Some of them weighed more than the stones of Stonehenge. The southeast corner of the temple mount soared 120 feet above the Kidron Valley. However, Herod couldn't change the horizontal dimensions of the temple. These had been set by Yahweh when Solomon built 1,000 years earlier. The floor plan was 60 cubits by 20 cubits, 90 by 30 feet, with the Holy of Holies a square of 20 cubits by 20 cubits, 30 feet by 30 feet. He couldn't go out, so King Herod the Great went up. He expanded the temple vertically. Construction began in 26 BC. It ended only one and a half years later. Now, some of you 
may remember the complaint that the Jewish leaders directed at Jesus. They said, what? It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to rebuild it in three days? Well, there is truth to the 46 years, because the whole project did take almost five decades, but the temple proper took only 18 months. I'll come back to all of that a little while later. Mark 16 begins with Jesus and his disciples leaving the temple complex and heading east to the Mount of Olives. One of the twelve makes this comment, Look, teacher, look at those wonderful stones. Look at those wonderful buildings. They were. They were amazing works of engineering and architecture. But, but Jesus replies, Sure, look at them all. Look at the Temple Mount. Number the towers, the citadels, as Psalm 48 said. Look at the arches and the colonnades, the Antonia Fortress and the temple itself. Look at those great buildings. But know this, not one stone stacked on top of another will be left standing. They will all be thrown down They will all be destroyed. When they end up on the Mount of Olives, on the far side of the Kidron Valley, four of the disciples come up to Jesus privately and they ask, Please, tell us when. When will this happen? This throwing down of stones, this destruction, this loss. When will we know it's close? What will be the signs? Jesus doesn't point to a calendar He doesn't give them a date, but he teaches them and he teaches us. Don't be led astray. Don't listen to counterfeits, those who say, I am he. That will happen. And don't be alarmed by wars and rumors of wars. There will be conflicts and earthquakes and famines. But these are only the beginning of the labor pains. There's more. He also tells Peter and Andrew and James and John, be on your guard. You will be delivered to trial. You will be beaten. You will be hated. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake and witness to them. This isn't a vague or empty warning. Some of us listened to Lutheran Bishop Johanna Pohala yesterday morning. We heard how he will be standing before the governors and kings in Finland in early 2022 because of the charges against him. And you will take home this flyer today. It is about our fellow Christians in the country of Mali who are being faithful even to the point of death because of Islamic persecution. Yet here is a rich promise in the middle of Christ's warnings. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. The good news of salvation not only will, it must be announced in every land before the end comes. And those who endure, those who run the race with faithfulness, they will be saved. What happened 
at the temple. Not, not to the temple, but at the temple. Why did God command his people to replace the tabernacle, that worship tent, with a more permanent structure? Because he wanted his name to dwell there. Because he chose to be present among his people. Because he had work to do. So God appointed priests to do his work. Work every day. Important work. And on some days, even more important work. They had psalms and prayers to chant. They had fires to stoke. They had incense to burn. They had animals to kill. But before they slaughtered the pigeons and the turtle doves and the sheep or the goats or the calves or the bulls and laid that flesh on the huge barbecue grill that sat outside the front of the temple, they always and always and always had to offer other sacrifices. The priests had to offer sacrifices for themselves. That's what Hebrews 10 tells us. Why? Because they were sinners. Because they were guilty. Because they should have been the ones who died rather than the animals. And this happened week after week, year after year, Passover after Passover, Yom Kippur after Yom Kippur, until, until there was a different altar just outside the walls of Jerusalem, until the blood of a perfect lamb was poured out, until the innocent scapegoat was covered with our sins and our guilt. For on that barren hill called Golgotha, the final sacrifice was made. On a rough cross, Jesus was both priest and offering. The priestly sacrifices could not, they could never, take away sins and remove guilt and cancel punishment. But by his suffering and death, Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. And this single sacrifice is for all the nations. It is for souls in Mali and Finland and China and Belarus and in the United States and here In San Antonio. Yes, God chose one nation to be his covenant people, but that nation was chosen so that all the nations of the world can know the blessing of redemption, so that a new covenant can be made, so that God's promise spoken in Jeremiah 31 can be spoken to us and by us, to all people everywhere. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. This now holy nation is saved, saved by the great and final high priest over the house of God, saved by the single and sufficient sacrifice for sins, saved by the blood of Jesus, saved by the one who went through the curtain. You know this, but I must still say this. Christ Jesus didn't only die. He was raised to life on the third day. The temple of his body was not destroyed. It did not decay, but by his resurrection was rebuilt. And so Jesus lives and reigns for his church at the Father's right hand. 
and all those he redeemed, all these, the children, the youth, the adults, the aged, these names are written in the book, the book of life. These are the people, these are the people who are declared innocent, whose hearts are sprinkled clean when bodies are washed in the gracious waters of holy baptism. Here is reality. All that Jesus told the disciples on the Mount of Olives has happened for 2,000 years, and it is still happening, and it will continue to happen until the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords returns in glory. And yes, the walls and buildings of the Temple Mount were destroyed by the Roman 10th Legion in 70 AD. There is no temple in Jerusalem any longer. Now on that platform rest a Muslim mosque and a Muslim shrine. But this is also reality. The walls of this church may crumble. They may be torn down. Perhaps not in my lifetime, but possibly in the lifetime of our children or our grandchildren. Though no brick may stand one upon another, Jesus Christ will still stand. For Christ is the cornerstone of his church and we are the living stones of his holy temple. The people of God cry out. Come, Lord Jesus, in these final weeks of the church year. We long for our Lord to return in glory. We long to be counted with that great number of saints, as we heard from Revelation 7 last Sunday, All Saints Sunday. A great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, holding palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.